0: hide into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Heaven, we come to you this morning praising you for all that you've done for us. We ask, Lord, that you would receive, accept this offering, and use it for your work to help the soon coming of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Yeah. thank the pianists and the musicians. And thank uh, Sister Brown and her team for working so diligently with our children. And um, up here we have the Abundant Life Christian Academy Choir Uh, with the amen. And and it's no secret, it's no secret, I, I have one of my good little friends up here. And, 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 and um, uh, Sister Lycan is not yet a part of Abundant Life Christian Academy. But I'm still leading the campaign to, <laughs> to get her into this school. And so we hope to have a join, join the, the school at some point in time. Keep praying with the pastor. The dad is right there. Amen. All right. That's Pastor Lee. We have our speaker today coming to us. He is Dr. Ralford Jones, who is a graduate of West Indies College, Northern Caribbean University, and also the Loma Linda University, located in California. Rolfer Dr. Jones has a doctoral degree in education. He has served or worked for 25 years as a teacher. Amen. Amen. A counselor and currently a psychologist in the public school system in California. Presently, Dr. Jones is working as a school psychologist in Riverside, California. And I'm reading it as he wrote this, so (laughs) bear with me. Dr. Jones enjoys working with young people, teaching adults at the university level. He also enjoys traveling and spending time with his grandson. Since age 15, Dr. Jones has enjoyed serving God. His greatest desire is to be saved.
1: pressure. <laughs> you know, I thought I was pressured a few weeks ago when he called me, but I'm even more pressured today by his last statement. I know I'm standing where Dr. Rob preached often. And I know you have listened to many good sermons but I'm not intimidated (laughs) I'm just gonna allow myself to be used by God and if that's good for you it's also good for me let's bow our heads as we pray Heavenly Father you have been so good to us you have blessed us abundantly beyond our expectations. You have allowed us to be here today, another demonstration of your love and your blessing. And so, Lord, as I stand before your people, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer amen Amen. today i wish to speak to you on the topic the convergence of two important stories two important stories the first is found in jeremiah chapter 18 Verses 1 through 6 was ably read by our elder. I can't hear you turning the pages. So as you're turning, let me just inform you that this was a message primarily for Israel. However, this message Uh, this narrative is loaded with relevant applications and pertinent implications for our time. Although it is an old message, it is also a new message for all of us here today. It is a message about broken people, And if we are broken, which I suspect we are, it is also relevant for us today. It is a message about second chances. Let me see the hands of those who need a second chance today. Certainly, I need a second chance. And this is a message about second chances. This is a simple, straightforward scenario laden with profound truths about God's goodness and human sinfulness. This narrative highlights God's patience with us and his skills and power to restore brokenness. This is also a depiction of Israel's condition and God's special message that it doesn't matter how far you have been, it doesn't matter how many times you have messed up, it doesn't matter how broken you are, he still loves you. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Isn't this a wonderful God we serve? (laughs) Let me just give you a background for the message before we look at this story. Israel was in spiritual decline. They have practiced idolatry for many years and they have engaged in all manner of evil. The prophets were dishonored, and worship to the true and living God was like a strange practice. To some who continued to worship God, they wondered if God was able to redeem their nation. And so the fate of Jerusalem was weighed in a balance and during the fourth year of the king Jehoiakim, who was king of Judah God wanted the children of Israel to know that their nation was weighed in a balance and so he sent Jeremiah down to the potter's house so that he could be informed and be reminded also of his nation's condition. And so he could also understand of the expansiveness or expansion of God's awesomeness and awesome love for such a broken nation. This king, Jehoiakim, was a young man about 25 years old and he had the privilege of rule for 11 years from AD 635 to AD 597. His name, listen to this, his name means he whom Jehovah has set up. However, he is remembered for burning the manuscript of one of the prophecies of Jeremiah because Jeremiah has criticized him and criticized his policies and insisted on his repentance and strict adherence to the law of God. In 599 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, and you know the story of Nebuchadnezzar II, he invaded Judah and laid siege to Jerusalem. In 598 B.C., Jehoiakim died and his body was thrown out the walls to be eaten by vultures. What a sad end. Man whose name meant he whom was chosen or set up by Jehovah. He had a great opportunity, a wonderful opportunity to tear down the idols erected in Jerusalem and to declare that. The creator of the universe was the true and only God. Instead, he aligned himself with the heathen kings of Egypt and those of Babylon. And to this, he met his tragic end. And so God saw this end, and he wanted to save his people and so he sent Jeremiah to the Potiphar's house. And I invite you to turn your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 18. And let's look at the story. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Reading verse 1. Go down to the Potiphar's house, or sorry, the potter's house, and there I will give you a message. Now this second verse tells us that this is not a new story. It's an old story. Which one of us here is willing to be led by God to go somewhere? And when we go there, we will hear the message. This is an old story. We like to know why we are going where we are going. Even the little children, when you ask them to do something, what's the first question they'll ask you? Why? So verse 2 tells us that this is an old story. And probably some of us old timers can relate to this story that when our parents told us something, it, it was not in our vocabulary to ask why. I think you can identify with that. Do I hear an amen for that? Listen to Jeremiah. So I went down to the, pot, to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best. To him, and then verse five. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This was when Jeremiah was getting the reason for going down to the potter's house for the first, for um, by the command. And listen to this, verse six. And I want you to remember this if you have forgotten anything that you have read or you heard today. O house of Israel can I not do with you as this potter does declares the Lord like a clay in the hand of the potter so are you in my hand O house of Israel. One of my Favorite teachers on my high school campus is Mr. Sheeline. He is a ceramic teacher, a wonderful gentleman. When I have some emotionally disturbed students who need some therapy and they have difficulties in other classes and some of the teachers are not willing to accept them. This gentleman always willing to accept these students because he believed that when they're able to work with clays, it can transform them into something differently. And so I would go there sometimes just to be reminded that God is not finished with me yet. I'm still in his hand. A good place to be. A good place to be. And so my last visit there was on Thursday. And I looked around just to be reminded that I was gonna to speak today that we're still in the potter's hand, and so I want you to get two things from verse 2 that sometimes God sends us to places that are not comfortable. He takes us out of our comfort zone to places that are less comfortable in order to teach us a lesson. You know, the prophets, though they were not rich, they had a higher standard of living than the potters. And so God had to take Jeremiah from where he was down the unpaved road to teach a profound message. And then the second thing I want you to think about, when God sends us to see And to hear his message, we should allow our senses to be in tune with his communication. Too often we have allowed our spiritual attention deficit disorder to prevent us from seeing and hearing God's message. During my years as an educator, as a teacher, as a counselor, and now as a psychologist, I have come to understand that we as a people, and I know we have a mixed audience, but I think for you can all bear with me today, that we as a people Sometimes we like to talk too much. Now, I want you to, to, to listen to this. I want you to listen to this. And it's not a Jamaican talking about an American. I've been here 30 years now, and I'm American. And, and so I'm talking about my grandson and I'm talking about my daughter. I have noticed that in all classrooms some of us are too animated when we should be sitting still. We are too noisy When we should be quiet listening. And because we have disallowed our senses to operate, we have become deficit in our auditory and visual processing. A message to you young people. There is a time and a place for everything. And this is my easy formula for many of the students that I see. There's a time and a place for everything. In the classroom is a time to be quiet is a place to be quiet. Out on the playground is the time to talk all the talk you want to talk. It's the time to talk all the mess you want to talk. But when you go into the classroom, it's the time to be quiet. It's the place to be quiet. It's the time to focus. It's the place to focus because when you are deficit auditorily, when you are deficit visually, it is going to bring great pain and consternation and hardship when you become adults. So listen to me young people, listen to me. And I'm wondering Just wondering, not stating a fact, but I am just wondering that the situation that we have in all communities, if it is because we're having or we have experienced auditory and visual deficit. I am wondering that in California, and I'm talking about California now, not Nevada, why we have 50% of our prison population to be black. I remember I, I was writing some stuff and I called the prison of Long Beach, a federal prison way out there. And and I asked, what's the population? I'm not talking about the state prison now. Chino, which is close to Corona where I live, that has at least 50% of the population. And we know that California has about 13 or 14% black population. And when I spoke with the gentleman, he said our population there is... 50 plus federal prison i am wondering just wondering not stating a fact but i'm just wondering is is it because we talk too much when we should be quiet i'm just wondering i'm just wondering i'm just wondering also that in all communities the, the teenage pregnancy is high. Really high. And, and it bothers some of us who have been affected directly by it. I'm just wondering, is it because we talk too much and we listen little why we're having such problems? I'm just wondering that when we see all these young men, more young men at a certain age in jails and in prisons than we have seen in graduate school, in engineering school, or those training to be teachers, lawyers, or doctors. I'm just wondering, is it because we are not observant enough? I'm just wondering. And I'm wondering that the high unemployment that we have, higher than any other group, is it because our visual and auditory acuities are poor and impoverished? Just wondering. I'm also wondering if we had more of our children in church school, if we made the sacrifice, if we would have a different result. I'm a little biased when I talk about church school. Because I have spent a lot of money in church school. And I've seen the benefit. I've gone through high school. When I didn't have any relatives at Seventh-day Adventists, I was the only one. And I've gone through college. And I've gone through Loma Linda for many years. And I've seen the transformation in myself because of church school. And and so I want to just say to you parents and grandparents and supporters that sometimes the costs might be burdensome. But I want you to look at it from a different angle. Don't see it as just... A payment for Christian education, but an investment for eternity. An investment for eternity. Our schools might not have the best buildings or state of the art equipment. God has a way to supplement the deficiencies, to produce miraculous results. God has a way of doing that. I remember this summer, I was in Jamaica and we had high school reunion. And man, I saw some guys and I said, wow, I'm really old really old (laughs) but you know I'm thankful to God because some of them say man what are you doing thankful to God that he has kept me all these years and I heard a young man I heard a young man who talked about being in the gang and he went to West Indies College now Northern Caribbean University with some of his friends And they were all expelled. And he was on the verge to be kicked out. And how he was transformed. And he's now a pastor in Central Jamaica Conference. And I sat there and I just said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Because we serve a wonderful God. And if our children are in God's hands. That's the best place for them to be there, for them to be. And so, let's go back to the story. Let's look at verse 3. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. I want you to visualize with me what was taking place. Just picture a wheel spinning, or two wheels, one being pedaled, and one being turned. Well, the pedal one in the bottom allowed the top one to be turned. And here was a man working with clay. Something that is insignificant, something that has little value. And i talk a little more about that later. And so Jeremiah was seated there and was wondering, why do I need to be here? But he has trusted God enough to the point that he knew there was a time and a place for everything. And so while he was watching, verse 4 he saw something strange because he was getting into it he was watching something as beautiful probably the most beautiful part he has ever seen and suddenly this thing crumbled and he was wondering what just happened here and he was about to ask a question and then he remembered that he was there as an observer and not an interrogator. And so he kept quiet. But just thinking of this imagery, it elicited from me this operative question what caused. The pot to crumble in the potter's hand, in the skillful hand. What happened? There are many speculations. Some think there could be a small pebble, undetected by the skillful trained eyes of the potter. Some believe that the mixture had some problem, wasn't the right type of clay, and so probably needed some supplement or it needed water. But whatever happened, it said to me that. But before I say that, let's look at verse 4, and it gives us some clear indication of what is happening. Verse 4 says that the clay was marred, meaning it had an imperfection. It was imperfect. And the rigor, the rigor of shaping was too much for the imperfection, and so it crumbled in the skillful hands of the potter. What a place to crumble. We come to church and we look perfect. Like to the untrained eyes, Jeremiah thought this was something perfect to behold. Well, we have flaws that immobilize us to stride to what God wants us to accomplish. We are arrogant. We have jealousy. We are proud. Whatever your issue, whatever my problem, I just want to share to you today that our faults, our imperfection can diminish our God-given potentials. or faults can make us susceptible to the negative influences around us and they will guarantee your daily surrender to the evil one or false are or worst enemies they will ultimately destroy us if they are not corrected the clay the pot was marred in the potter's hand the clay represents God's people and the potter represents God broken right in church messed up marred imperfect right in church when God is doing his best to shape you and mold you. Verse 4 said, right in church, right in God's hand, you crumble. Isn't this a bad thing to crumble right in God's hand? I want to declare to you that's the best place to be broken. Best place to be broken. When you're out there with the devil and you're broken, He'll discard you. But when you're broken in God's hand, he will pick you up. He will put you together again. He'll give you a second chance. What a mighty God we serve. Let's give God a hand praise. Thank you, Jesus. What an awesome God we serve. David said, And David had many enemies. David said, I would rather be in the hands of God, the just God, the God who will discipline. I'll rather be in the hands of God than in the hands of my enemy. Broken, messed up, even when you are not at your best, still come anyhow. Still come anyhow. God is always willing to give you, to give me a second chance. Clay is a common thing that does not demand a high price. We know that, right? Clay does not worth much of itself until it is made into a pot Are something valuable. Someone has said it is the art which gives the value and not the material. Remember that. According to Lisa Berry, left to itself clay would remain clay, but yielded to the shape in hand. There are no limits to its possibilities. Like clay, a human life is a thing of almost infinite possibilities. Look at many of us. Many of us know where we are coming from, where we have been, and where we are now. And God is still not finished with us. Geologists tell us that there are endless varieties of clay, each Locality having its own peculiar varieties, no two of which can be treated the same. The heavenly partner, recognizing the fact that no two human beings are the same, deals with us individually and bestows on each of us his individual and undivided attention. His dealing with us is unique. And exclusive when last have you looked up into the sky and have seen the constellation the stars the moon and the God of the universe who has so many things to oversee he treats each one of us individually to the point that he said that He knows the number of hair on your head. And if you're bald, He knows your thoughts. (laughs) Knows your thoughts. Sometimes the trials we face and the sufferings we experience are part of the process to shape us into the vessel God can use for his service. Are you going through hard times, difficult times, don't give up. Do you feel unworthy? Do you feel that you have let God down too many times? Don't give up. Stay with God. Hang in there, because if you're faithful, God will be faithful. He who has started a good work in you will finish it, will complete it. Don't give up on God. He will not give up on you. Isaiah 64, 8 reminds us. That we are the clay, and God is the potter. Amen. So despite our difficulties, just remember that God is the potter. We are clays in his hand, being molded, shaped to be beautified. Adelaide Pollard's beautiful song, I think it is fitting for this moment. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. Yes, yielded and still. I hope that this first story has resonated clearly to you. That you are precious in God's sight. That even though you have done many things that he is dissatisfied with, He's still willing, still willing to mold you and to make you what he wants you to be. The second story, the second story, found in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verses 14 to 30. Here is a story that is simple yet profound, a story for all of us, a story that we can all relate to. The Bible says a certain man, probably a wealthy man, decided to travel into a far country, says, into a far country, and he decided to give his property to some individuals, the Bible said, three people. So he called one and he gave this one person five talents. Five talents. To the next, he gave three, and to the next, he gave one. And what I've gotten from this is that whatever God gives you something... Because this merchant, this rich man represents God and the recipients are us. Whenever God gives us a gift, a skill, a talent, it is his demonstration to show how loving and how generous he is. It is his overture to transform our lives into something more dynamic, creative, prosperous, industrious, useful, and beautiful. What is a talent? According to the NIV study notes, the New International Version study notes, The term was first used for a unit of weight, which was about 75 pounds. Present or contemporary use or understanding of talent indicates an ability, a gift, aptitude, acumen, mental capacity, intelligence. The giving of talents is God's loving outreach to mold us into what he desires us to be. So I want you to remember that. So let's pay attention to how he distributes. Why would he just give one five, one three, and the other one? Was it just arbitrarily? God in His wisdom knows what you can handle. And when God asks you to be the choir leader, He knows you can handle that. And guess what? He is not just going to leave you to be just a choir director, He's going to give you more skills through the process. And when God gives you one, don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. Don't think that you are being treated dishonorably. Don't think that he doesn't care about you. When he gives you one, he knows you can only handle one. And for heaven's sake, don't take on more than you can handle. And so, the day of reckoning... Came, the day of reckoning came, and the wealthy man returned and asked about the talents. Now, notice here: when he gave, he did not say, "Go and invest." Didn't tell them to go and invest. You listen to the story here this morning. He didn't say, go and invest. And when he came back, he expected a return on his talents. And so he went to the first person, and the first person was so excited. Just come running and praising the Lord. I am so happy I had gained 100% on my investment. The Lord was pleased. What, the Lord, what did the Lord say? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over what? A few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of my Lord. Is it possible? Is it possible that when we lose our joy when we are grumpy old men and grumpy old women and grumpy teenagers, is it possible that we have not invested wisely with what God has given to us? Is it possible? I'm just asking a question. Is it possible? To the second person, person was just rejoicing man I had three talents and now praise the Lord I have six talents person just came running from the back and just praising God because where God takes you he's not satisfied with where you are he will take you far beyond where he has found you and he will not take you to a place or on a journey where progression is impossible. Yes, sir. He will not. And so, the pronouncement was the same. want you to notice that. To the person who gained five, the pronouncement was the same to the person who gained three. Yeah. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things enter into the joy of my Lord then to the one to the hater to the hater he had excuses long from here to the parking lot you know Lord you know I, I felt a little hurt. I felt I was disc. you know I I thought I was popular, I thought I was the man, I thought I have a lot to offer, and I really felt hurt and dishonored that you had just given me one talent. And so, you know, I had to go home to think about it. And every time I thought about it, my self-esteem declined and I started getting depressed and I had to go and see the psychiatrist and now I'm on Prozac and I'm immobilized and so Lord, you know, I'm sorry, but here's your one talent. That was not sufficient for God. It was not sufficient. And, and, and what did God say? Verse 26. You wicked, lazy servants, so you know that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on the deposit within the banks so that when I return, I would have received it back with even 1% interest. So when you think you have some real good excuse, God is not going to accept it. The fact that he has given you your talent, he requires of you to use your talent and I'm talking to all of us and especially young people you are the ones 20 years from now who will be running the church and less than that and and if you're good in math if you're good in history whatever your talent is get the best possible grade you can and I know, I know that some of our young people think it's not cool to be smart. Yes, it is. It's not cool to be dumb. There are many, there are many 40-year-olds who have had the chance to have a high school diploma, and they avoid a high school diploma or even a GD. There are some Think, oh, it's a white man thing. Education is a people thing. As a matter of fact, God is the author of education. It's a God thing. So get out of the idea that it's not cool to be smart. And so, God made his pronouncement like he made with the first. What's the pronouncement? Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. Wow. Wow. What an awesome God. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance to those of you who are teachers.